Hello, welcome to the 250, the podcast where we pray for the best, but prepare for the worst. I'm Jonathan, and with me as always is my co-host, Douglas. How are you, Douglas? Very surprised. Normally we do like a three, two silence, and then we commit to the podcast, but like just as a communal kind of, all right, let's go. But we just, we're here. All right. Hello. Welcome to the 250, the podcast where we <laughs> If this is your first time tuning to the 250, we've taken a snapshot of IMDb's top 250 movies of all time as of January 2020, and we've begun watching them from number 250 through to number one. In this podcast, we discuss our opinions, our thoughts, and our reactions to the movies within. Today's movie, number 198, is Prisoners. Set in snowy, festive Pennsylvania, two girls go abruptly missing with barely a trace. Detective Loki is set on finding both the girls through his own principles, while Keladova, father of one of the girls, has his own approach in mind. Uh, Prisoners was directed by Dennis... Denis? Is he Dennis or is he Denis? Denis. Denis Vellu. Uh-huh. And written by (laughs) Aaron Guzikowski. Yeah, there you go. Uh, And also uh, a repeat of our good friend, Johan Johansson. On the score, correct. R.I.P. Yes. Um, uh, Yeah. Uh, So, Denis uh, has done Rival, Blade Run 2049, Sicario. Wait, is that the Dune? Or the new Dune, sorry? Or is that... Yeah, the new Dune. Okay, well, he hasn't done that yet, so we don't know if it's... Yeah, but, like, it's coming... And that's what a lot of people are. There's a lot of buzz around Denny at the moment because he's doing the new Dune, and everyone's like, "Ooh, ooh, is that guy? This guy? Yeah, yeah, he's the Dune guy. He's the Dune guy." Uh, neither Douglas nor I have watched this film before. Yeah, which this one has kind of eluded me for a little bit because I've always been interested in it, but I always thought that the material presented and the general vibe of the film looked very oppressive. And I was worried about how I would be able to handle that. But I recently watched Zodiac, which also stars Jake Gyllenhaal. And I loved that. And that was based on true crime. And this is... It feels like it should be based on a true crime, but it's fictional. Mm. Um, it has a very true crimey kind of a vibe. So I was like, well, shit, if I can handle Zodiac and that's based on real life things that happen to actual people, then I'm sure I can handle prisoners. And fucking, I'm so glad I did because this is one artsy goddamn film. Mm. I, you, you were, I think, a little worried about me being able to handle this one. Mm. Um, yeah. And that's I, why we've. You, you I was. I wanted to make time. sure I went ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched it first ahead of. I actually. That's why I did it the other way around. Mm. I was saying before we started recording, I watched this and then I watched Cool Hand Luke, which was last week. And yeah, that must be why I did it. I watched it to make sure that you could handle it. And I was like, yeah, I reckon he could handle it. So, Jonathan, the big payoff, the moment we've all been waiting for. Can could you he handle, it? handle it? Yes. <laughs> Um, okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, I, honestly I do not fucking understand what it is with me in some movies I don't know what it is I it's the, the, like working out what the problem is is quite difficult a lot of the time where, where you where you tap out from a film and you or perhaps you emotionally connect mm. maybe but and this then is still, it has a lasting effect yeah it's still because uh, we said before the the delineation appears to be um how potential like the potential for the story to be real 
the the more potentially real it is, the worse it is for me to handle. But this one is yes. like totally falls in that, and and I was fine. I don't know. Mm. Mm. Maybe because it's a a thriller, so like the thrust of the film is kind of fixing the problem that's being presented, unlike some of the mm. other. It is oppressive, but there is like there's glimmers of hope within the the very dark, dreary, and drab world mm. that uh, Roger Deakins and uh, Denny uh, paint. Fucking my man Deakins, though, holy shit, Woo! comes to life in this film. Mm. You seem to have a bit to say about the uh, the cinematography, which I I oh. didn't dislike. But I um, maybe I just wasn't paying good enough attention to what was it's going on. It's my boy Roger Deakins behind the camera. Of course you fucking got shit to say about it. He's one of the greatest cinematographers of all time. Do you want to... Do you know what he's done, Jonathan? Do you have a lot to say just for the fuck of it? He's done Skyfall. He's done Big Lebowski, Fargo, Shawshank, number fucking one, Shawshank, Blade Runner, 2049, 1917, No Country for Old Men, Hail Caesar, Rango, fucking In Time, Jonathan... We were talking about that the other yeah. week. Mm-hmm. I don't. I still don't know if it's good. In time, you should check it out. It's. Uh, well, I. I still have a bit of a soft spot for it because it's just fucking weird, and I yeah. love it. It's Timberlake, isn't um, it? Hmm. Is it Timberlake? Is Justin Timberlake? Sure is, baby. Yeah, that's. Uh, and Amanda Seyfried. Um, we. Uh, I have been watching. Let's call them not good movies. Sick. Uh, in my outside of the two five zero. Outside of the two five zero. Uh, in time should be on that list. Uh, I will talk about what I watched when we get to the end of the podcast. Later we'll on talk in about the podcast. our yeah, that's a little good. bit of a little bit of a teaser. Oh, little tease! Give them the give them the little bit. Um, back to prisoners. <laughs> Sorry, uh, just yeah, Roger Deakins. He's amazing. I love anything that he does because he always has such a fruity way. Whenever he's working with a good director, mm. he finds such fruity ways of using the camera i mean like 1917 is prime example of that when he's working with he's a long-term worker with uh sam mendes and the coen brothers basically um from you know what i just listed then sam mendes did skyfall in 1917 coen brothers did lebowski and fargo so um and a lot of those films especially fucking 1917 are renowned for their cinematography the Mm. whole bit behind 1917 is that it's it's all supposed to feel like one extravagantly long take. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I love it. He's got... Uh, I mean, this isn't a spoiler in any way, shape, or form, I don't think. I just think it's very interesting. In this film in particular, there's a big focus on trees and, like, wood mm. and I and forest, and that really kind of cements you in the vibe of Prisoners, which is this really snowy fucked up christmas movie um <laughs> this is my new rain. favorite christmas movie yeah this is definitely yeah i would definitely watch this it's, around it's christmas thanksgiving time, no uh thanksgiving douglas it's not christmas is it oh yeah there but like what comes after thanksgiving jonathan i don't know hanukkah <laughs> yeah <laughs> thanksgiving in like october or something Chinooka. I don't know. There's like some... Okay, wait. Holidays. Thanksgiving is November, I'm pretty sure. Sorry for all you American listeners. We don't know anything about your bloody... Well, we don't uh, give thanks for the Native Americans. Yeah. Because we don't have any. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, I mean, we probably do, Jonathan, in Australia, but we're we, not in America. Yeah, we don't have native. We don't have. Okay, we don't have any Native Americans that are <laughs> native to Australia. And we don't really have a Thanksgiving. Like, we don't have like anything for. Yeah, we just the, treat our indigenous population like shit. Just garbage. Yeah, yeah it's so, a real cool thing you that. Know our- what? That our Out of does. all the places in the fucking world, America has one up on us by... Well, I wouldn't even say one up, you know. It's still not that fantastic a, a thing, Oh, really, no. They, they did some horrible shit. Yeah, yeah. Don't give them... No, you don't, don't give them any props for this. Colonialism in general is fucking... I think uh, we're going to go. It's not very good. Um, Roger Deakins. <laughs> Colonialism, Roger Deakins. Hmm. Uh, just finding those two parallels. Um, no, it's he's great. The entire crew are fantastic on hmm. this. It's a it's all star powerhouse crew, and then you've got uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and Hugh Jackman uh, piloting the front. And I've heard some people don't particularly enjoy Jackman's performance in this, but I think of it's one of his more deeper roles. I think hmm. he's got more to play with here than he normally would have. Um, and I think just subtextually he's got more to play with and I think that that's fun Jake Gyllenhaal is around the fucking ballpark just gorgeous baby boy Mm. he's phenomenal in this Mm. and he's phenomenal in Zodiac and he's phenomenal in pretty much anything that he does fucking I just I love him in everything but uh, yeah I really thought Jackman kind of came to life it was an interesting one because I noted I noted this as well that um, the only other real experience I've got with him is um, X Men and Wolverine, yeah. The one. Les Miserables. Thank you. <laughs> the Who one, like the one French that's a play. <laughs> <laughs> one where uh, they sing a lot. <laughs> yeah, so there's not like like there's a bit of um, you know emotion going on in that, but um, uh, he gets to yeah play a fairly interesting character. Uh, I mean, there's definitely parallels you can make to his Wolverine performance. He burly Australian man sounding like an American and being aggro ah but like there's more I guess context to it than his I actually prefer his performance in this over Logan Mm. most definitely um I mean they're two different performances I guess you know he's he's a much more older worn down kind of dude in Logan and here he's He's, there's still a little bit of fire behind the fucking wheel, uh, I yeah. guess. But like, it's a, it's a very damp, like <laughs> campfire was on for a little bit, and then someone just came and dumped a fucking bucket on it, and then that's just what he is in this, you know. Like, it's the fire is there, but it's a very sad fire, I think. Different flavors of like desperation, I guess. Mm. Punctuate mm. both of those, um, but I think yeah, this this one is. Uh, He's yeah, kind one of, of the race against time, whereas the other one is yeah. like it's a it's a feels a bit different. Mm. Yeah, mm. yeah. Mm. Um, uh, and then yeah, you've also got uh, Paul Dano, who has occurred uh, in the two five zero very recently. He was in Twelve Years a Slave mm-hmm. um, as mm-hmm, one of mm-hmm. the uh, slave. Um, what would you call them? Like the martial dudes, Dry- boss oh. fella. Yeah. Okay. The slave um, drivers. He's fantastic in that little role, in that little mm. cameo in 12 Years a Slave, and he's fantastic here. Uh, and then you got Viola Davis, Terrence Howard, and Melissa Leo. 
um, mm. as well, kind of rounding everything out. And Maria Bello, sorry. Yeah. Um, Maria Bello is uh, Eliza, I'm pretty sure, right? No, Grace. Apologies. She is Grace. Yeah, I feel like... Um, I don't know. What do you think about... Uh, I guess not um, the quality of their performances, but maybe how uh, well used Viola Davis, Mario Bello and Terrence Howard were. I'm going to be real with you. Viola fucking chameleoned into this role for me. I had no idea it was Viola until I went and fucking checked the the cast listing and I was like, whoa, holy shit. Mm. Um, it's, yeah, and I think that's great. She she is a bit of a chameleon um, in some senses in some of the roles that she plays. And she was in 12 Years a Slave as well, wasn't she? Correct me if I'm wrong. I believe um, she I believe was. she's got a very brief little cameo in 12 Years a Slave with um, a scene with Lupita. Um and yeah, I, I think they're used to good effect in this film because, again, there's a lot of. Guzikowski gives everyone a lot of subtext and a lot of like. It's a living narrative, mm. you know? It's the, the narrative has been alive before we've arrived and it continues to live once the film is over. Yeah. And I think that that's what's really cool about this movie is that it just feels so alive in uh, how all of the actors uh, present each character. Everyone mm. feels so well-realised and well-lived. Um, yeah, from, hmm. from my reading, um, Jake Gyllenhaal, um, and I guess I'll talk about why, why I wanted to read about this after the spoilers, hmm. um, after the spoiler gap. Jake Gyllenhaal's character in particular had like a whole sort of backstory that I think he might have written and then basically only he knew about. So he, he could kind of use that to shape his performance, but not necessarily directly go like, this is my history. It was just that helped him explain some of the ways that his character acted, which sort of, no, it's good. I, I think part of me wants, wants to say it's like actor wank, but. Uh, well, it's, I would say that, uh, I mean, just off the top of my head, my top two favourite actors at the moment are Jake Gyllenhaal and Robert Pattinson. And mm. that's because uh, perhaps not during his Twilight days, but post that, um, both of them do such extensive research and preparation for their characters. And they do like hours upon hours of work off screen. And then that all kind of culminates on screen. And it... I mean, most every time it's worked for me. Um, they, you can feel the, like I said, it feels lived. They feel well realized and developed. And I think that's, yeah, because Jill and Hall spent so much time fleshing things out off camera so that then he is incredibly, there's nothing in doubt in his mind when he's acting. Mm. Every decision that he makes is concrete and he doesn't go like oh fuck maybe i should have you know uh not had that expression or looked somewhere else everything is you know as by the book his own book of who the character is so Mm. mm. yeah um and i think uh you get sort of the same feel from yeah hugh jackman's character and and the the interactions with um i don't know if this is like a good observation but that the family interactions seemed very genuine and and nice yeah and i think yep. that's important for grounding 
the changes of those characters yep. through through the film. So yep, yeah, I, I I think there's well yeah you you do kind of get some I guess ideas of the character or the person that I should actually know what his fucking name is. Loki. Uh, no, Hugh Jackman's character. Oh, Keller Dover. Keller Dover, that's right. That Keller has gone on. He's got the whole very religious situation. He's got the prepper situation going on. He's, by the books, staple American. Mm. Incredibly patriotic. His favourite song is um, uh, the fucking... What is it? The uh, the American song. Star Spangled um, Banner. Star Spangled Banner, that's yeah. it. Um, it's the anthem, yeah. Douglas. It is. Mm. That's why I was trying to say the American song. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't want to go too far into it because I don't want to. Uh, this is a film that, like, I'm very careful to tiptoe around spoilers just because it is thriller, and half the, the yeah. enjoyment of thriller is going in for a thrill. And if we talk about too much, then we uh, risk spoiling a thrill. So. Uh, I would say go in in the same way that Jonathan and I did, and that is dumb fuck blind, and uh, just yeah, mm. uh, have fun with what it is. That We've already told you too much. I jumped happen. into this film expecting it to be another film about prisoners after Cool Hand Luke, like actual <laughs> literal prisoners, and then it was different that. kind of prisoners, mm. Jonathan. Um, yeah, no, <laughs> it's great. Yeah, I love it. I fucking this has got to be one of my favorites so far of like this because we've just swung out of the the two hundreds where we've uh, we're officially in the one hundred two hundred to one fifty bracket now. This is my new favorite out of this bracket so far. Probably my favorite of the year at the moment. Damn. Yeah. It's um liking this much. I I always feel bad when like it's just like a really solid thriller which is just like very entertaining and I feel bad like really liking them because I'm like you should like something artsier you piece of shit <laughs> and I'm like, no, this no. is artsy well yeah I guess so but it's not hey, I would argue this is a relatively artsy it's film fairly artsy yeah yeah and I think I, I think I said it before that like the nearest um, analogue I have for it is like Taken but I think yeah. this is much smarter I guess mm. uh, well Taken is much more actiony it um, is. This is. There's so much more suspense and yeah. tension. There is still uh, a lot of suspense film. and tension in, in Taken. I did like that film. Like no question. Uh, I haven't seen it in a hot minute. Maybe I no, me either. Again. I just remember mm. it being so much more actiony and like oh Liam yeah, Neeson kicking in doors and shooting people. <laughs> yeah, but it's good. I mean, it's good. Yeah, <laughs> still yeah, a thriller. Most definitely, you can still have a thriller where they kick doors out and shit. Kick doors in and shoot people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's um, true. Um. Well, Jonathan, uh, would you recommend this film? Big thumbs up, Douglas. Mm-hmm. That's a big one. That's two big thumbs up. You already know what my opinion is, so fuck it. Uh, let's hear that spoiler. There's like the little plinky plinky piano bit. That's it. It's like the, the motif of the, the light motif of the, the film. And you're hitting your hands in score. That's the. It's like. Oh, no, it's not the plinky plinky piano bit. It's like a synth thing, and it goes like. I can't wait to line that up with the. <laughs> yep. It's going to be completely out of key. <laughs> uh, that's fine. I'll just, yeah, no, no I'll just auto tune you. And um, so. <laughs> perfect. Or I just won't and I'll just have the music. Yeah, over you'll the just top have me there being a fuckhead as you do. Um, I, I, this is an interesting thought. 
I think I'm bored with films that open on like, like, you know, quiet, still scene and then someone talking about something and then like something happened. I like, like, it's just something about that style of like opening that like, I was just like, okay, yeah, I get it. disengages you immediately. I would just get so many films that have it now, I feel. I guess, yeah. Or films that we've done. Yeah. Although, I guess, you know. No. Drive? (sighs) Well, that's an action scene. I guess so, yeah. Um, Still. uh, And I think it... Yeah, I don't know. I I wouldn't... But but I think if you just started, say, straight into, like, the Thanksgiving dinner, that that might... That would have hooked you more? No, I... Well, I don't know. It'd be different. <laughs> you just certain. right. You just feel like it's rather textbook, but at yeah, this point, that's my that's my bigger issue. I might right. be wrong once again. Uh, <laughs> podcast full of t- uh, two idiots. You <laughs> don't know what the fuck's going on. It feels like something that you've seen but before. I, but I just I, I it might just be a really common opening style in the list. Maybe perhaps. Yeah. Well, I think I think it's integral to setting the tone of the film for me you've got i mean it sets so much shit open in like that first yeah it does like 10 odd minutes of like who hugh jackman's character is entirely like you know his patriotism his fucking religious beliefs like yeah it it does so much Mm. in for me in the first like 10 15 minutes and that shit is integral because if you botch those first 10 15 minutes then you're already going uphill with the audience and trying to you know come back come back (laughs) um and like you already know what's gonna happen even if you haven't read the summary before and you're just like oh prisoners and you just put it on Uh, the cinematography everything is telling you what's gonna happen yeah and you're just waiting as soon as you see the camper van you're like "Uh uh-oh you'd like trying to bust the ice on the on the um the Mm -mm. the rear fucking tailgate thing or whatever yep it's game over. The kid climbing the ladder. What the fuck? You really think that Kel- the Dover family would have raised their child a little bit better to not just like a camper van? I'm going to climb it. But like, I guess, I don't know. Van. They live in a very rural area of Pennsylvania, allegedly. It's a, it looked very, you know, small towny vibes. Mm. Um, but still, uh, stranger danger. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't jump on random camper vans. We've always said yeah. this. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's. I'm not sure if it's a good or a bad thing. I I think maybe maybe it's just a better for me to just make an observation that I feel that we see that kind of style of opening a lot, very often. Mm. Of mm. just like oh, that's fair. Yeah, s- slow slow very quiet shots, and then mm. someone happens to pull you in. Because I, I also like ones where it's just like throws you right into the guts of an action scene, which of course doesn't work for this film. Mm. Um, or mm. or just into like the guts of a lively scene, and uh, Denny doesn't tend to do that in any of his films. Really, yeah. he's a very he's a very slow burn starter. Um, mm. Arrival plays a very slow burn right from the get go. It's he likes to. It's almost like he's <laughs> he's putting on the fire. He's getting you a nice warm <laughs> blanket, and he's going to put it on you and just give you a couple of little pats. And then in the second act, he slowly starts pulling the blanket off of you, <laughs> like millimeters at a time. And while he's doing that, he's got the other hand, and he's like, 
putting out the fire at the same time. <laughs> and he's moving he's moving the, the cattle prod closer to your nuts. <laughs> And it's like, oh, just you wait. And then, yeah, 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 the third act, it, ah, it's in. Yeah, I I like, I love Viennese films, and mm. I've watched basically his whole filmography. Oh, congratulations. Now. Yeah, I'm missing a couple. I think, in ones he's directed anyway. Mm. I'm missing some of his earlier stuff that he did in the 90s. He did a couple of, like, short filmy things in, like, the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. Um, and then I'm missing Enemy... And that's it, actually. Yeah. And then um, Dune, but like, you know, Dune's not even out yet. So, yeah, it's, I love his style of film. And I'm, uh, that's why I was just so fucking hyped to see this because it's like, it's, oh boy, I'm sorry. I love what he does. More of this, please. <laughs> um, but he doesn't ever, like, he could totally shoehorn himself into doing sci-fi stuff out of Blade Runner, right? Yeah. Like, he could just... And Dune as well. It's like, he could just be the sci-fi guy for forever now. But he's not. Fucking... He's been announced that he's directing Cleopatra, a fucking remake of Cleopatra, which I'm incredibly hyped for, because fucking, yes, sign me up. But, like, yeah, he doesn't play... He's got his own kind of book that he plays yeah. by. Yeah, I guess so. Which is what I love about this film. Yeah, you, you bring your own little kind of unique twist. Viennese. That. That's what directors are for, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So good ones, I guess. You you can tell, you can tell it's being directed by a director mm. without having to look at the crew list. You can just go, oh yeah, it's this guy. That's you've. I mean, for better or for worse, um, you can find those trademarks within uh, all of their work. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. And this definitely feels like a VNU film. Yeah, 10 out of 10. I appreciate this film really just jumping into it and spending no time, wasting no time, just going on, like, here's the setup. I think it's like and the first the kids 15 are minutes. Gone. Yeah, it's about 15, 20 minutes before they get lost. Uh, and then, and, and that is, I think, just the right amount of time to go, like, okay, you know, this is, oh, this is the family, this is kind of the relationship between these two couples. Two family friends. Um, you kind of, of deals, get the yeah. the dynamic going on with the kids as well. And it's oh. like, oh, they're gone. Oh, what's happening? What I love the the acting by the family in that initial... Um, yeah. Where the, the bit where they realise that the kids are lost. Mm. There's that, like, boiling... Someone's got the lid on the kettle and they're, like, fucking pushing it down, you know? Like, you, there's that need to want to be frantic and, like, holy shit, fuck, 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 fuck. But it's, like, it's what we say in the opening. Pray for the best, prepare for the worst. Mm. And it's... Uh, that's one of fucking Keladova's, like... I'm pretty sure he says it, like, twice, maybe three times throughout the film, which reinforces both that scene in its entirety of, like, them, you know, just going, oh, God, I hope they're okay. But... The frantic nature of like it could fucking be hell, yeah. Um, and uh, we were talking a little bit about Viola Davis and um, uh, Maria Bello, and I love what Guzikowski does with the pair of those characters because they both, the way that each pair of parents cope with losing their children is wildly different, and I yeah. think yeah, all four characters. Yeah, uh, yeah, and it's not even like the couples pair together and, you know, they both cope the same way. It's e mm. each single individual, four set of people, 
cope with that differently and i find that amazing and that's through like even their own background like maria bello's character has insomnia and she's got to pop some pills and things like that to you know try and keep herself on an even keel because i'm sure when your kids are there everything's you know relatively fine you don't have to hit the medication quite as hard but when there's stress and there's tension and there's anxiety fucking any mental uh health disorder goes like Mm. skyrockets so it's yeah it just feels so real i love that yeah yeah i guess maybe that's why it felt like her character didn't do very much is because she only has a couple of scenes where she's kind of just like it's kind of showing off how how poorly she's coping with basically it basically paralyzed yeah yeah and yeah, then um yeah. uh her you know telling keller like you know you said you were going to protect us from everything and all that stuff and yeah. how he's just genuinely trying to be calm and care for her and you know be as polite as he can be but it's yeah it's tough it's an uphill struggle when you're in that kind of a, a situation each parent has different coping mechanisms and mm. when something happens to their child, none of none of them help uh, healthy. No, none of the uh, none of the four are <laughs> particularly healthy. But um, it's just interesting to see that psychologically explored. Hmm. Yeah, I. <laughs> this is a bad <laughs> note. I wrote a note where I was like, "Where does this set? They still have like four three displays." And then I realized that four three displays were still more or less the standard like seven Pretty years much, ago, yeah. eight yep. years ago. Wow, that's mm. wild. That's very weird to yeah, think about. Right? Uh, actually, talking about cinematography, mm. um, I might just talk about the two scenes that I really liked or the two shots that I really liked. Um, under the church with uh, Detective Loki, he's like jumped into the, the, basement. the basement section. Mm. They light him up perfectly, but they n- keep it at like, a nice wide angle. So you've got all this dark going on and you're like, I have not fucking one clue what is going on it's behind you sinister. So. yeah this is very worrying and and it's kind of like the um people recommend that you well i think this is a trust me i'm gonna get i'm gonna loop back to this uh <laughs> people recommend that you watch alien on vhs because all of the uh compression artifacts in a lot of people's opinions make it scarier make the film right because yeah. you kind of like got this you've got this like stuff that you don't know what's happening behind it and it, it could hide all kinds of things and that um, was integral for the time that it was released you know it's uh they were using the medium to create tension that's fucking uh, smart i don't think i don't think that's real it wasn't like intentional intentional but it's why it's why people no well because that it also had a cinema uh, cinematic release that was, oh well yeah sure but like i don't know <laughs> it, it adds to it well, true. Um, and I also really liked the the hammer scene. Oh, um, yeah. Where there's this perfect shot where you can see all the characters' faces and there's this, like, just, like, palpable tension in the room and then him just, like, bashing the shit out of the... Uh, uh, the sink. The sink. The basin, yeah. I'm wondering what those prop sinks must be made out of because... Um, if you read into it at all, or if you go back and look at it, it is quite clearly a prop hammer. It actually bends a little bit. Yeah. Mm. So, what's like what? Uh, what's the basin made? Yeah. Of? Because okay, so the brief bit of trivia that I read about that scene was that uh, Vianu told Jackman he wanted him more ferocious in the mm. next take, and then the take that was shot directly after he told him that is the take that we see in the film. Right. Um, which is. Right. 
I don't think he even gets that ferocious as Wolverine. Like, he, Jackman tapped into something in that scene, and I don't think he ever quite finds it again throughout the film. And I, I think I briefly touched on it in the pre-spoilers. A lot of people don't like Jackman's performance because it feels a bit too heightened, and he do, it's monotonous. Mm. The fact that he is so consistently yelly, screamy, guy... <laughs> It's, you know, intriguing for the maybe the first hour, but then this is a two-and-a-half-hour, over two-and-a-half-hour film. It loses its gusto, I guess, but mm. I would argue the fact that it's integral to his character and that he's the type of man that feels he needs to be loud. And yeah. that if it's in this circumstance and where his mind is at at the moment, it's the only way he knows just how to communicate. Like, that's... It's, it comes down to an instinctual thing of, like, this is all I can do. I don't know anything else right now because I'm just fucked. I'm basically torturing this kid, and that's already chipping away at, like, my religion, my beliefs, um, my His own fucking state. sanity and, yeah, mental state, yeah. Uh, my history with alcoholism. Like, there's, I think that there's enough room to argue that Jackman's performance is justified. Whether it's good or not is a different question. But um, I think it's good. I think Jackman does an exceedingly good job with what he's delivered. Mm. But mm, mm, mm. yeah, good scenes, very good scenes. And you just yeah, yeah in you just like the the cinematography, the framing of those. That that was just like an extremely well framed shot. Mm. Yeah, those mm. those both of those were extremely well framed shots. Mm. Yeah, uh, which I appreciate. Mm. I guess. Mm. I, like I mean, it. if we're talking about uh, cinematography and kind of clever things, you can't really go past the ending, which is. Uh, once again, I, I call this film a, a living narrative because the the red whistle, you hear the, the red whistle from the pit, um, mm. but you never get the actual resolution. You don't get Loki, you know, driving the truck out, lifting the wooden plank and, you know, dragging Keller out of there. It, it's the story lives on in your mind. And I think mm. that that's probably one of the smartest decisions that this film does is not giving you the payoff because the film does give you so much payoff already throughout the film. You kind of get lulled into a sense of like, okay, well, he's going to go get him now, right? And But you don't get that. And then so when the film ends, you're just like, ah, afterwards because <laughs> you don't you don't get the closure from the director and... Yeah, I think that's smart. I feel it like it doesn't really doesn't need it. No, no. Nah. Like you, you go. Oh, this is you work out what's going to happen, and you get just as much weight from imagining Loki working it out and getting him out, and and like you know charging him and all that, mm. than you would from just showing it. Yeah. So it yep. just feels like, I, I yeah. I don't know how else he would have ended the film, really. I guess, yeah. like, uh, perhaps playing all that out, Keller going through the court process and and just, like... But even that, like, what happens with the Dover family? What happens with um, uh, the, the other family? Do they still stay friends after everything's gone? Uh, the Birch family, do they still stay friends with the Dovers? Do, do they drift apart? Uh, mm. Does... Um, Grace accept Keller back into his into her life and with the family and everything, even after everything that happened. Like, there's in my mind, there were all of those things that were playing on in the background. It wasn't so much does Loki find Keller because I think that's kind of you know that was always going to happen. Given. Um, yeah. 
One fun thing I did pick out, though, is that Keller means cellar or basement in German. And where does he end up at the end of the film but in a basement-y type of dwelling under the ground? I get this feeling that wasn't intentional. And he's got his cool basement full of stuff. Yes, yeah. Mm. Um, I guess uh, the last thing I kind of really want to bring forth to you for discussion, Douglas, sure. is um, is that ending and like the last, I guess, act technically or like the last kind of sequence with- um, Holly? With, yeah, with Holly. Did you- I, So, uh, I guess my, my main thing is I don't know whether the film didn't didn't lay the hints well enough or if I'm just a dumb fuck and didn't piece it I together. I did pick up that Holly wasn't completely scot-free. She was definitely on my yeah. suspect list because the film was already casting so many uh, lines out to other people. Bob Taylor, mm. Alex Jones, he was casting those lines out and they just, they didn't feel like, they, they felt believable enough that you're like, or oh, maybe, but like mm. it's the, that feeling, that gut feeling of like, no, it can't be. You know, mm. it can't be them because that's too neat. That's too clean. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right from the start, I was like, oh, it's not Alex. No. Yeah. It's definitely not no Alex. <laughs> no. But Keller is just so blind in his rage that he's just like, it's it's the only way. And when Alex does the, uh, they didn't cry until I left them or whatever it is that he says when he gets pushed down to the ground in the, the parking lot. Um, but I, yeah, I had... I definitely had her on my suspect list and it wasn't as big of a surprise when she pulls the gun out because I was like, yeah, okay, that checks out. Uh, because mm. there's already such a huge focus on religion throughout the film, A, through um, Keller just as a character. But then uh, there was this one scene that fucking got me. It's I think it's when Keller is driving his car and he's got Loki in the passenger seat and he has a... Uh, cross hanging from his rearview mirror. Mm-hmm. In another scene, there's a, a uh, Deacons puts the camera in the basically the dashboard of the car, and they're coming out of the house, and the it's just the cross, it's just still. Mm. Uh, I'm assuming symbolising that his beliefs are stalwart. You know, he's happily believing in God. It's you know his faith is unquestioned, basically. Yeah. When he's driving around with Loki, the cross is shaking like all fucking hell. And like, obviously it's, you know, bumpy road, whatever. But for me, that symbolizes that his faith is being questioned. It's his, being tested. His it's faith being was challenged. shaken. I yes. Guess. Shaken. Bing bong bongo. <laughs> um, yeah. That's what I got out of that. that. Maybe that's the fucking arts kid in me picking it out. But um, and then you've got Melissa Leo's character, Holly, talking about it's very subtle, like her backstory. But mm. I was already, like, ears on, eyes on. I was listening to every hinging off of every single word that everyone was saying. Um, and you get the backstory of her and her husband talking about how they lost their son to cancer and then they lost faith. Um, mm. They were originally religious, but then when they lost their son to cancer, they, you know, didn't believe so much anymore. Mm-hmm. And for me, that was like, whoa. That's a motive, and that ties in with everything else that's kind of going on. Obviously, it's much more, I think, psychotic and psychologically deeper than that. Uh, the Joneses' 
intentions and their motives. She was very crazy. Oh, absolutely. Fucking batshit yeah. bonkers. But her and her husband were both batshit bonkers. But it's... Oh, it was something that I read. It was like, if the Joneses are servants of the devil, then mm. after losing faith, when their son died of cancer, then Loki is the servant of God that's guiding everyone through the maze. Right. And... I think that that kind of checks out in my mind. The The reason the film is called Prisoners because they're all prisoners in their own maze. Everyone, yeah. every single character is a prisoner in their own maze. And they're all kind of working to get out of it and finding mm. their own means and ideas of pushing through their own maze. And yeah. I think that that taps into a very human condition kind of a thing of we are all working for our own maze be it mentally physically uh just life you know maybe career wise you're working through your own kind of a maze it's there's so many different places that you can take that metaphor and then how that's utilized within the the context of the film i think is exceedingly well done because it it took me so long to fucking work out what's the deal with the maze there's got to be something there and mm. I think that that's about the best that I can philosophize. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. What do you take? Uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I wasn't- Four hours sleep. Uh, I just listened to about uh, three minutes uh, of that seven minute thing uh, that you uh, just uh, said. And I'm uh, sure. I was, uh, I was sure. Sure. Um, I, yeah, I wasn't surprised when- when they reveal I, I, yeah I think I think it's because it all like all the pieces fell into place pretty quickly right at that like, moment oh. yeah. yeah and and there's the whole scene with yeah with him coming in and, and he, there's like a very weird tension to the air and you're like yeah like something's mm. off yeah mm. yeah um but yeah was your was your complaint that you the film didn't give you enough pieces to put it together beforehand or it just kind of felt like, oh, it's her, like, fuck off, I guess. Like, that's what it felt like yeah. to you. Yeah, for me, yeah, there wasn't... I just wanted a little something. I, I didn't really think it was her until... Like, it all once again, it all came together. But then... And she also was just, like, so fucking crazy. Mm. Um, and, like, had this all so well planned out. I was like, oh, there's just something about that that felt a little weird to me. Right, the the general kind of exposition-y wrap-up that she gives as mm. she's putting Keller in the yeah. under the car felt a little bit like, okay, this is yeah. a... All right, we're wrapping the film up a bit here. <laughs> but I also don't really want to fault the film for uh, it because mm. I, don't think it's, I don't think it's the film's fault. I think it is my fault. Um, I think maybe, yeah, maybe... I don't know how you would change that, how you would do that differently, like her motivations and and plan and and all that stuff coming together i don't know how how else you could have presented it yeah exactly uh, but yeah get, just getting out i think that's i think that's the most thing or the uh, the one of the key things that i always think about when i come to these true crime esque i guess in this case but true crime things in general is mm. and perhaps it's we we've talked about it previously on the podcast both our partners are heavily invested in true crime stuff and they always show us like really fucked up true crime things and we're like oh great awesome now i'm gonna be oh. thinking about that for the rest of the day that's in excellent fucking Thanks, ingrained man. in my mind the thing that in- interests them i think from my partner's perspective is the why the like why is it 
what do they what excuses do they make in their own head psychologically to make what they're doing okay to allow them to keep living day to day without their without there being some human conscious mm. thing to grab at the back of your fucking shirt and pull you back into <laughs> what we would call sanity to be you know yeah uh to not do fucked up shit and drug children and fuck up the rest <laughs> of their lives and i think that that's yeah it's tough to do those to do those sequences where like i'm the baddie and here are my intentions ah. <laughs> um it's hard to do that <laughs> without like yeah doing the uh twiddling the the tip of the mustache between your between your index and your thumb uh i think that's difficult and i think at the yeah melissa leo does a fairly fucking good job of it because there's there's other stuff happening while she's doing the exposition bit i think that that mm. it kind of flies a bit more evenly for me but yeah shit man i don't know i i like her i think she's a she's intimidating enough and also like for me yeah i clocked on early because it's just the again you feel that there's something not right and you can't peg it and you know that while there is blame and thought being cast to these other characters it's just too neat it's too Mm. it's too tight a bow you know yeah I, I think maybe what I wanted was if I had just the tiniest bit more of a hint on the fact that there were multiple murders and that they might be related. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think when then when she goes like, oh, this is the plan, you know, I've done this a million times, drink the juice, go on the hole type thing. Like that would I'd be like, oh, uh, yeah, <laughs> drink she's the, the one who's, the who's done. Yeah. <laughs> drink the juice, go on the hole. Um, the, the, the the Jonathan get thin quick uh diet scheme. scheme yeah 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 that's pretty good yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you get you get thin quick because you get juice you get and that's it fucked up <laughs> and then and then you and then you we uh forced fasting until you hit your weight goal yeah exactly in the hole yeah in the- underneath the put him in the hole the color's not the interceptor, but my brain kept, kept saying was the interceptor. the interceptor. Oh my god! It does look at yeah. You know what? I could see that. Mm, it does feel like it, doesn't I'm, it? I have no idea what color it is. It's a muscle, <laughs> but like it's yeah. What kind uh, of a muscle it is? Mm, I don't know. Um, who knows? Yeah, no. I think that the intentions of the Joneses. I think it just mm. because it's obviously been so well thought out by Guzikowski that that ties into everything else that the film is trying to do. The whole idea of religion, which is so oddly... I, it's so oddly subtle, but oddly centred, you know? Yeah. The idea of religion and beliefs and faith are all... It's there. It's right there for you. But it's weaved so subtly that your kind of... Your attention is already going to other things. And that mm. by the time you realise that that's what the the motive is when she says it you're like oh fuck right killer's bloody religious like you uh i picked up the i in that moment i thought back to the symbol bit with the thing shaking in the in the car and yeah that was a big like light bulb moment for me so mm, mm. Mm. the film it's just got such a nice like three-act structure i think it's got such a nice like abc um Mm. and like uh, act one is like it transitions into act two when Alex gets put in the apartment building um, where yeah. Keller used to live. 
and then your act two is, uh, you know, planting all these different little seeds and ideas, Bob Taylor coming into the fray to add another, you know, like, oh, could be this guy. And then we transition into act three after the snakes, after finding the snakes in the in the, the boxes. Yeah. And then, yeah, it's just, uh, it's, I love it. I love how Guzikowski has laid out the screenplay because it's, there's such a great, divide of just events that happen throughout the film and they all happen not too far apart but not too close Mm. the yeah he keeps you on your toes which is fucking key for a thriller so hmm. yeah 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 did a good nice thrilling job douglas (laughs) a thrilling job i love that i've talked for about fucking 40 odd minutes to this podcast you want to sorry i feel like i've kind of been Grabbing the I mic. I feel like I've yeah. had some some talking sections. No, you have, um, you have. But, but I just I feel like I've been <laughs> jabbering on a bit, and I've, I want to apologise to you, Jonathan. This is a two person podcast. That's all right. You're you're forgiven, Douglas. <laughs> and you know, actually, you know what would really make it up what? to me, Douglas, if you uh, shared some trivia <laughs> with the, with the audience at home. Good segue. Yeah. Um. Well, why don't I just? Uh, the first well, time, why don't you? The first time Prisoners was submitted to the MPAA, it received an NC-17 rating due to its tone and subject matter. The film's torture scenes were later cut by a couple of frames, along with scenes suggesting pedophilia, and then received the R rating. Is NC-17 worse than an R rating? No. It goes NC-17 and then R, so it got a higher rating, even oh. though it cut stuff out. Okay. So... Yeah. Uh, I did also like that. Yeah. The fact that Guzikowski didn't make it a pedophilia thing. Yeah. I like that that's... Because, fuck. It's just, that I that shit that. fucks me up anyway. It's like, oh, that's yeah. just gross. I don't want to see that. Yeah. It's it's nice that it was a more psychological thing rather than... Uh, or, no, wait. No, R is, R is a lower rating than NC-17. Wow, that's weird. NC, no, NC-17 is you cannot go if you're younger than 17 R you need to have an accompanying parent so R is there uh, is our MA yes wow far up and 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 NC is our R (laughs) yeah jeez that's really weird Mm. Huh, because our R is yeah, you you have to be eighteen or over, and normally whenever whenever we see an R, it's like oh boy, fucking someone's yeah. gonna get decapitated. Let's go. <laughs> but then you you really get like yeah, your your well, I, obviously that does happen, mm. but you, mm. your Deadpool's and your like uh, what what do you call it? Um, your Logans and stuff mm. like that, mm. which are like not that bad yeah like you know mm. still probably shouldn't be showing them to small children it's but. just it's got the the grotesque nature of it makes it more palpable i suppose but because think, it's I grotesque think... it gets that r rating by the australian uh rating board i guess when when you're no longer a teenager yeah um you suddenly forget that these fucking things exist. Yeah, I guess so, don't you? Yeah, because you're just like, oh, mm. I just watch whatever. Like, I don't even... Yeah. Who cares? Uh, Detective Loki's cards reveal his full name to be David Wayne Loki. Oh. Ah. So, there you go. I wonder if... I assume... I bet Jake would have come up with that. I bet. Yeah, maybe. I bet. Uh, well, I, would do, I wonder if there's any uh, importance to that or, or not. Uh... I was, I'm just trying to think of, like, religious, maybe, David. Because um, then yeah. you've also got uh, 
Grace, and then Keller's mum is called Mary. Um, Yeah, there's a bunch of, like, very neat, tiny little religious name scatterings throughout the film. Um, Hebrew names. mm. According to screenwriter Aaron Grzykowski, Detective Loki grew up in a boy's home and didn't really have a family. He's a prisoner of his own past and his own demons. Mm. Um, Yeah, I thought... I don't think there are hard and fast... Like, sorry, I don't think there are, like, hard answers on what this was, but I loved his, like tattoos yeah. and his Freemason ring yeah, and stuff. Yeah. And I, I don't think there is an explanation for it anywhere. I think the tattoos are like a Zodiac reference, maybe, I heard, or something. Uh, I can give the you finger tattoos. information on both oh. of those. Um, Interesting. Uh, the, the tattoos, the Freemason ring, and the facial tics were all Hall's ideas. Um, Thank you, Jake. And uh, I, one of the first things I said to John after watching it, I was like, oh my God, he does what you do. And then John's like, what do I do? And then I was like, sometimes you like blink real hard because you've got dry eyes and you just like, you really like squint. And yeah. Jake, Jake does that. Does he not? He does what you do. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. Ah, it's cool. I didn't realize I was doing it until uh, until you until mentioned I it. And now I feel very self-conscious. No, no, so. you do it. It's a, I like. So thanks, for, thanks for that. It's a, I like. Fucker. It's, it's very, it's very Jonathan. It's very indicative of John. But now it's also, now I just think of Jake Gyllenhaal as well. Um, mm. The I like being put in a, a box with Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> you don't mind that. Um, on his right both, hand, both figuratively and literally. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Shut the fuck about tattoos. I want to. I want to cuddle Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> <laughs> I want to jizz on Jake Gyllenhaal a little bit. Um, on his right hand, yeah, you've got uh, astrological symbols, zodiac symbols tattooed uh, on his um, knuckles. Um, on his yep. left hand, he's got the Freemason ring on his pinky. Um, and yep. then on his neck, he's got the eight-pointed star, which is occult symbolism i think um it's uh, the star of ishtar i oh. want to say off the top of my head um i don't know ishtar was a babylonian goddess associated with jupiter no venus um and yeah i just it's very i don't know it gives him a nice little air i suppose uh, uh a mythical air about him um as well as <laughs> obviously the name loki um, yeah, I was going to say, the Lo- I, I heard his name was Loki and I'm like, like Fuck. there's going to be something like metaphysical or some <laughs> some weird here. Well, and it actually wasn't. Uh, allegedly, uh, I think in Nordic history, uh, though Loki was the god of, uh, you know, thievery and mischief, uh, there's some story of Loki guiding children out of a maze. Mm. So mm. that ties in with the, you know, yeah, the okay. plot. Cool. Yeah, so, mm. Fun times. Uh, Leonardo Leonardo DiCaprio was attached to the project for a long time, but he dropped out. And in my uh, head, I'm like, who would he play? Keller or Loki? I would say Loki because that, I don't know, that, you know, has a bit of a Leo-y kind of a yeah, vibe he, to it. Especially seven years ago, he wasn't much of a dadly figure. And he wasn't a, a yelly, screamy boy yet. Uh, he didn't no. have the yelly screaminess of... Uh, wait, when was Wolf of Wall Street? That was 2014? I want to say... But then that would have been filmed at the same time. Oh, same year. Wait a minute. So, oh, maybe he did have the screamy boyness, but he does look... He looks pretty young. So, mm. he, yeah, he would, he would fit into Loki, um, unquestionably. Mm. 
But yeah, there you go. <laughs> Mark Wahlberg and Christian Bale were set to star with Brian Singer directing, but the two actors opted to make The Fighter instead. Ah, uh, is The Fighter any good? No. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, I mean, I think a couple of people like it. One, It got a couple of Oscars and um, it's uh, based on a real life boxer's story. I think Mickey Ward or something like that is his name. Mm. Kind of Rocky vibes. But yeah, uh, that's also got Melissa Leo and uh, Amy Adams in it. Ah, oh. Amy Adams. Amy Adams. Um, hmm. But yeah, thank fucking God we didn't have Mark Wahlberg and Christian Bale in this because God no, they couldn't do Keller or Loki justice. No fucking way in hell. Let alone fucking Brian Singer. Mm. Ryan Gosling auditioned for the role of Detective Loki, which later went to Jake Gyllenhaal, a frequent collaborator of director Denny Villeneuve, and a, fr- a friendly professional rival of Gosling's, being that they often auditioned for the same roles. Villeneuve and Gosling would finally get their chance to work together in Blade Runner 2049. Uh, Four years See, now I'm, I haven't seen enough, like, starring roles from Jake Gyllenhaal, and now I've got to work out which one is my new... Hollywood boy crush. Like, which is the primary and which is the secondary? Gosling or Gyllenhaal? I think I think Jackson with like a pretty good. He's getting up there now. Shot, dude. Yeah, I, yeah. Dude, you got to see Enemy. Enemy sounds like it's right up your fucking street. And um, right. oh, what's the other one he's in where he's like a creepy photographer man? It's the other one that everyone really likes. Nightcrawler. You would like Nightcrawler. Oh. Yeah, I want to watch that anyway. Uh, we should watch that for Sweet. 250 anyway. That sounds like a do a bonus on that one because everyone fucking loves that movie. Um, mm. Came out year after, after Prisoners. Yeah. Jake Gyllenhaal and Denny Villeneuve had such a great time doing Enemy that Villeneuve cast him for this movie without any audition. Wow. He was just like, right. come on in. <laughs> Get on in here. Uh, Paul Dano admits- Jump to- the queue. Sorry. <laughs> What'd you even say? I said jump the queue. <laughs> Paul Dano admits to being attracted to roles of this nature, learning difficulties, screaming, and nonsensical ranting, saying he draws on his own personal and private experiences to perfect these recurring roles. What have you been doing, Dano? Yeah, that's, fucking, a, that's a weird one. You doing a, doing a little up bit to of Dano? A, yeah. Having a bit of the Kool-Aid? What's going on, buddy? Having a, having a bit of a shout? Having a bit of a Kool-Aid in your own time? What's going on? Mm, he's a little bit of a funny-looking dude. I th- yeah, yeah, yeah. He's definitely typecast into weird looking like you see them walking face. down the street and you're like uh there's something about Wait. them you're like mm, nah he was in 12 oh my god he was in 12 i'm a fucking idiot i said it god earlier damn it. i said it i earlier. know but it didn't make the connection yeah. in my head hold up he's the i mean mild spoilers for 12 years a slave he's the dude who books it he's the dude who runs after he gets yeah. challenged by benedict cumberbatch's character mm. The moment where Holly asks Keller to drink a little more was improvised by Melissa Leo, who thought Hugh Jackman wasn't drinking enough to make the situation believable. Um, Doesn't it feel a little off the cuff when they say, you know, it's kind of like, oh, that feels very kind of raw. I mean, it, it felt legit yeah. to me. Mm. Mm. The name of Alex Jones's aunt is Holly Jones. Holly Jones is also the name of a 10-year-old girl who was kidnapped and murdered in Toronto in 2003. Sick. <laughs> And that's the last bit oh. of trivia that I have for you. Hey, we ended oh, on the high. Hey, thanks, Douglas. <laughs> what a note to end on. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was really a... Uh, yeah, one of our partners would have fucking done that to us. No question. Just given us, like, the, mm. the most real sad bit of information. And then go, okay, bye. And then we're just like... Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> um, well. Yeah? In that case... 
if you enjoyed this oh no episode, wait wait wait, wait. Uh, did you have any favourite track from Johan Johansson oh I mean I didn't go was through any, to them individually yeah 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 but like was there any particular bit of score where you were like ooh my ears because you know it's our boy no, Johan it was just nice it was just all nice Good, consistent, uh, across-the-board mm. performance. Mm. Behind your handsome. Mm. Um, it, yeah, it didn't really, you know, it didn't have the annihilation effect where there was one song where you're just like, oh, <laughs> this, <laughs> that's the song. <laughs> um, I got a TikTok to send you after the podcast and remind me. <laughs> oh, Lord. Um, yeah, okay, go on. Can, hey, I, I'll try, can I'll I plug the, the socials now, yeah, please, yeah, Douglas? Go, go ahead. Thank you. Go ahead. <laughs> Um, so if you enjoyed this episode of the 250 podcast, we put them out every week, uh, Tuesday midnight in Australia, which comes out to Monday afternoons in Europe and Monday mornings in America. Uh, if you want to contact us directly, you can email us at mail at 250.com, uh, or check out our Instagram at 250pod. Douglas is making glasses motions at me. I, I, like, oh, that was the weirdest experience. I thought I was wearing glasses and I just went to go readjust them on my nose. Oh. But, like, my head came up and there was nothing. And I was like, oh, my God. It's I thought like, you were signing to me that you, like, didn't have your glasses and you needed uh, them or something. No, I just, I genuinely thought I was wearing glasses and I went to go, re- wow, that was like a tick. That was really weird. Yeah, that's okay, good. Okay, go ahead. Um, uh, Douglas, where could people go if they want to, you know, get a head start on the list? Uh, you can go to list.250.com. That's uh, L-I-S-T dot T-W-O-F-I-V-E-O-H dot com. We've got the whole list of the snapshot that we did back in January of 2020 up there. And uh, yeah, you can see what's coming up next and what's in fucking 10 years to come. Yeah, uh, that's not quite right, but that's okay. <laughs> if you want to, uh, we recommend, no, we don't recommend, fuck. We use a, a website called Letterboxd uh-huh. for our movie tracking and reviewing. We like it a lot. We fuck around on there a lot. We do. Uh, have a have a check out, give it a little ticky outy. Uh, <laughs> my account is Uper, that is U-U-U-P-A-H, and Douglas. Mine is I-E-N-Z-O-K-N-I-G-H-T, that's Enzo Knight. So whack in either Uper, Enzo Knight, or 250 into the letterbox search engine, and you will find us, as well as a list of all the films that we've covered so far on the 250. We also log any other films that we've been watching outside of the 250 on there, and I recently logged WandaVision which isn't mm-hmm. really a movie it's a limited series um mm-hmm. it's it's good um i logged twisted which is again uh on youtube for free it's a musical and i love it a lot um mm-hmm. and then i logged kung fu panda one what had you seen it oh uh, yeah 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 i saw it as a kid like okay. fuck it oh it was like probably like 2009 was the last time i saw it but what the fuck wait when was kung fu panda good what? Oh yeah, that it's like it, one of Jack Black's best roles. But it blew my mind. It has like no right to be that fucking good, like <laughs> at all. The animation stellar. The story genuinely fucking interesting. Like and a character study on fucking imposter syndrome. Like what? It and like looking at what else DreamWorks was putting out like across that period wasn't so mm. hot. And then somehow they just fucking nothing but net with Kung Fu Panda and Kung Fu Panda 2 and 3 apparently like just the whole trilogy is a fucking all killer no filler so mm. I I was floored I was watching it in bed and I was with my partner and I was just like dude what the fuck where what when was this good how did this happen when did this get so good ah uh, incredible 
in in my own time, I caught up on a film. I'm a very big William Gibson fan, the old sci-fi author. I Real read, I am Gibson. I read the majority of his books. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what do you call um, filmography but for, for, for books? Um, yeah, there is a word. Yeah. Uh, so, I watched Johnny Mnemonic. 95 film Keanu Reeves based on the book of the same name Uh Um, it's interesting what what uh promoted you so the the fact that you have you read the book is that what like I I haven't read the book but it's based in the same world so there's the 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 sprawl is the uh world that the not the majority but it's like the most used world that he's written about um and it's it's like hugely influential on a bunch of other shit um you can kind of make the connections everywhere obviously you can also do that with a couple of other little uh uh sci-fi things from media a similar yeah. kind of period yep. but um but it was very very influential right. and a lot of people consider Neuromancer, mm. um, as well as Johnny Mnemonic and Burning Chrome, to be uh, some of the formative bits books of, of modern mm. cyberpunk. Right. Yeah. Uh, Johnny Mnemonic is about a <laughs> data smuggler. Stupid. Um, no, it's they call. I, I, there's there's like a term. For, it's a mnemonic, like a you know, like a mnemonic where yeah. you. Um, mm. It's like a memorizing yes. thing. Yeah. So, so he's a data smuggler who has erased part of his memory and is using <laughs> that to store information in his brain where it can't be. So he can <laughs> smuggle information. Wow. Um, uh, and and it's fucking really bad. <laughs> oh, oh, amazing! I just it's, I just stumbled upon uh, a review that you liked. Um, oh yeah, just garbage. Five stars. <laughs> <laughs> Um, my favorite part is the hilarious um, street preacher assassin character who says not just once. I think he says it two or three times when going to kill someone. It's Jesus time. <laughs> oh, my God. It's uh, it's something else. It's very heavily. Um, it, apparently, there was a lot of uh, uh, interference from the producers production company. Right. Um, in a dystopian uh, 2021. Whoa. Yeah. yeah, see, this is a year you got to watch Johnny Yeah, Monic. I guess um, so. Shit. 2021 doesn't quite look like this, unfortunately. Uh, a shame. But, a shame we can't smuggle data mm, and put but, it in our um, brains. There's, like, so much of it that's based in, like, the, the low-tech world, which are these people that kind of, like, shun the modern technology, which is, like, a fun enough kind of thing Vibe. to mm. have going on. Um, but uh, they basically just styled them on like the warriors, like these like gangs with like like a very weird character to them. it's it's really it's not very good. Like <laughs> it's not very good. So like nomad vibes from like the the no no no, no? nomads nomads is them doing it properly. Oh okay right. Apparently, William Gibson didn't really like the end product. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Who the thunk it? Also in- <laughs> it also includes my favorite character. They're like, oh, there's Jones. They're ex-Navy and they're they're one of the best hackers in the world. Jones is a cybernetically altered uh, dolphin. Oh, my God. Uh, which is actually 
presented much cooler in the books oh <laughs> than it God. is in the film. <laughs> Fucking hell. Um, I also want to uh, just quickly point out that Johnny Mnemonic was directed by one Robert Longo, who has only directed one other thing called Arena Brains in 1987, and it was a short. Mm. So, sounds like he did Johnny Mnemonic, and then fucking Harry William Gibson went, no, bad, and then that just ended his career. (laughs) Mm. Uh, Yeah, so... Shit. So, basically, yeah. Um, Wow, good times. It's got iced tea in it. Oh, wow. Huh. Yeah. That's a I, real product of the time. Holy shit. It's like Ice-T is like someone you want to like, but there's almost no performances he's it's, done where I haven't been like, shut up, Ice-T. Yeah, it's like, come on, man. <laughs> um, but yeah. Anyway, don't recommend that unless you want something stupid to unless put you, on. Yeah, yeah. You're really pining for for watching something. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so yeah, that's my recommendation of the week. Do not watch this film. Recent uh, viewing experiences, yeah. And I would say, fuck it. If you haven't seen Kung Fu Panda in a hot minute, go check that shit out. That mm. fucking... I I was just consistently... I got goosebumps so many fucking times watching fucking Kung Fu Panda. It's dumb. <laughs> I can't believe it. That <laughs> it, it shouldn't be that good. Fucking DreamWorks, man. When are we doing Shrek 2? <laughs> um... I assume. Yeah. Oh, man. I got so much shit to say about Shrek 2. You got no idea. Oh, I've got so much shit to say about Shrek oh, 2. Oh, man. Fuck. It's one of the most formative. I, um, uh, at, uh, this after party yesterday, <laughs> we were listening to I, I Need a Hero, and I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Shrek 2. <laughs> Shrek 2. Wow. Oh, yeah. Man. Yeah. Oh. Well, all right. Uh, thank you for tuning into the 250. And as always, we will see you again. At some point in the near dystopian future. Because it's 2021 now, where apparently we're dystopian. Goodbye. I mean, 2021 is kind of dystopian, I guess, isn't it? It's a bit. It is, yeah. So are you going to be a net runner or a corpo? I'm going to be or a, a, I'm a. I'm a corpo kind of guy, don't you think? I'm a bit of a corpo. Um, you're a little piece of shit. <laughs> I get by. I'm, a, I'm a nomad because I'm dirty. <laughs> And I hate you. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, it checks out. Okay, bye. It all ends up. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.